there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> but it's probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... <laughs> Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. I'm a little sick, so if my voice gives out throughout the podcast, just ignore it. The other guy joining me this week is feeling great, I think, uh, and is in, I think, sunny Chattanooga, Tennessee. It might be sunny. They just lost to Tennessee. Um, I don't know if that had any impact on the town at all. I don't know. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing well. It doesn't, it doesn't have much of an impact on the town. Uh, I was a little bit surprised by, by how easily Tennessee, uh, handled, handled that game, given the way their first two had gone, but, uh, it definitely didn't make it any cooler here. It's, uh, it's been a pretty hot week. So it's been hot everywhere. Yeah. It was in the 90s here this week. I want fall weather. It's football time. I want fall weather. <laughs> I, I'm ready for it as well. Looking at the, uh, you know, when I was looking ahead to this Illinois game, I was like, really? It's not going to be cooler than that. We're almost at the end of September, but soon enough. Uh, it, hopefully by Ohio State, we'll have like real football weather and that'll feel, I mean, that's going to be a big game for Nebraska. Uh, hopefully it feels like it temperature wise. That's, that's all I really want. It'll feel like a real football game. I don't know how much this week is going to feel like a real football game. I am thinking back a lot to the 2017 Nebraska-Illinois game uh, where Nebraska went there. and it was, a, it was played on a Friday. It was played at night. There wasn't a ton of people there. I don't really know what to expect atmosphere-wise from this game. Um, thing, I've read things from Illinois people that said that this is going to be a pretty highly attended game. But given how last week went, I don't really know. I want to start our conversation, Brandon, by um, just asking you about your thoughts on the Big Ten overall through three weeks because Maryland looked like it was the greatest offense in the history of football and then Temple um, made it look like it was not that anymore. Uh, Wisconsin looks like the Death Star. Minnesota, I'm convinced, is going to go 8-4 and four, and they're going to do it by outscoring their opponents by a combined 15 points all season. Uh, Iowa is lucky. Penn State looks pretty good. Ohio State looks really good. Nebraska hasn't looked as we expected. What do you kind of make of the Big Ten through the first three weeks? Yeah, I think uh, I think at the top of it, you know, we were asked this in the mailbag recently, and at the top, so I, my my pecking order in the Big Ten West coming into the year was Wisconsin, Nebraska, Iowa. Wisconsin's you know, only played two games against two teams that were okay. But part of my new mantra is not discounting teams for, for dominating the teams that they should. Like, I think it, the more football I watch in my lifetime, the more I realize like that takes something like that's hard. That's not an, that's not a result that you, you just write off. And Wisconsin did that through two games. They haven't given up a point yet. Um, so they kind of lengthened their lead. 
I might move Iowa up. You know, the, the Iowa State game was, was a strange one when you look at the weather delays and, and how that ended. But I was 3-0. and um, Miami, Ohio is – they're not a great team, but they're not a terrible team either. So I, I'd probably put Iowa ahead of Nebraska at this point based on what we've seen through three games. Uh, Minnesota's, like you said, <laughs> about right where I thought. You know, people can look at their 3-0 and and, and kind of write that off, but they got there against three teams that are that are not pushovers. Like, I, I don't I don't care what you say, you know. Georgia Southern, we'll see what their record ends up being this year, but that's that's a good football program. Fresno State, obviously a good football program. And South Dakota State, good football program just at the FCS level. So getting wins in those scenarios is, is pretty good, even if it doesn't look as, as impressive as you might think. It's sort of the same thing for me in the West. Well, not, not quite, because I had Michigan ahead of Ohio State, and I don't anymore. Um, Ohio State hasn't seemed to miss a beat. The biggest thing I think there is not that Justin Fields has looked good, but that the defense uh, is, is kind of seems to have recovered from the blip that it experienced last year. Michigan, I don't know quite what to make with, but this week will tell us a lot there. Um, the East is, is kind of shaken out a little bit more like I thought it would, minus me giving the edge to the Wolverines. But right now it's, it's Ohio State and everybody else. You also gave the edge to the Wolverines in the mascot battle question that we were asked in the mailbag, and I was surprised by this. For anybody that's listening that doesn't know what we're talking about, uh, Mike Leach was asked who would win a fight amongst all the Pac-12 mascots at a press conference, which is like the most Mike Leach question ever, and in the most Mike Leach way ever, he talked for like three minutes breaking it down, breaking down how (laughs) all, all the mascots would fare and advantages they had over others. And you said that in a, in a hypothetical scenario, where Big Ten mascots had to fight to the death, you would give the edge to the Wolverines. My question is, uh, what is Purdue's? And this is what I put in the mailbag. What is Purdue's mascot? Is it a train or is it Purdue Pete? Because a train wins. A, a train wins, but but so does Purdue Pete. And like you, you've got to remove the the humans from this discussion. I think almost entirely, except in extreme extreme circumstances, like. You know what? If if an Oklahoma State cowboy faces a Baylor bear, like a bear's got a pretty good chance to 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 <laughs> to inflict some damage on the cowboy, but the cowboy's chances of winning are not zero, particularly if he's just you know, ask Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> exactly, carrying a six shooter. Exactly, yeah, that's how it would go. Um, it would it would be a tight fight. Um, <laughs> humans humans have some significant advantages here, so I took that out of the equation, like. Wolverines are, I don't even know the best way to describe like the typical size of, of a Wolverine, but something bigger than a fox, but smaller than a wolf, say. Um, but there are reports of Wolverines having killed polar bears. There are reports of Wolverines having taken down moose. Like a Wolverine is knowing for being like the small guy that you just don't want to fight. Like they don't have all the natural advantages, but you're just like, yeah, they're just like so tenacious and they won't give up that like, you just don't want to mess with it. So, so that's why I went with the Wolverine um, badger, slightly smaller cousin uh, of the Wolverine. And that's what that's, that's why they're behind. But like these, these kind of ground weasel family animals that are basically like tiny bears that you underestimate. It's just bad news. You want, you want no part of it. 
And I wouldn't want no part of it as a human, whether that was as a, a Scarlet Knight, a Spartan, a Cornhusker, whatever, a Hoosier, uh, whatever the case may be. Okay, I hope nobody uh, gets mad at me over this, but a Cornhusker is like, in a in a Hunger Games-style Big Ten mascot battle, a Cornhusker is like the first thing that is losing. It's just a farmer. Like, I think he's the first one to go down. And then well, probably a gopher. Yeah. So, hey, the the Cornhusker is, like, is winning over the gopher because, like, that's a legitimate part of farming is controlling these ground rodents. So plenty of experience with disposing of gophers and the elk for, for Cornhuskers. I mean, you're familiar with the, the term farm strong, right? Like, there's a little bit, I think, and this isn't just me being a homer. This is me having like grown up on a farm and played basketball and football a bunch against a bunch of guys who are not like six, four freaks who are kind of like schlubby, but you're like, geez, I can't move this guy. This guy's like incredibly strong. Like that's farm strong. So I think there's a little bit of Wolverine underestimation going on with, uh, with what the corn husker can actually produce. That said, the Spartans were basically a warrior class. So that's, that's tough to compete with. Yeah, they also have armor. A Cornhusker just has his overalls. Also, your Farmstrong thing, not to be confused with Tanner Farmer, who is a, his own kind of Farmstrong. He was. That was a different thing, but it, it certainly, it was such a good fit because like, it was just, uh, he could have been, he could have been from a small town in Nebraska. He just happened to be from Illinois. He's the one guy that I always thought was from Nebraska even after like reading his bio and mentioning in, in, in stories, you know, when, when you've introduced, when you've written the name and you've like listed their weight as a way to like introduce the person into a sentence or like you've listed their position, you get to like the, uh, <laughs> town X product or native or whatever. I would always do Nebraska with Tanner Farmer because it seemed like it was, um, kind of criminal that he's not from Nebraska. I want to talk to you about injuries. I'm sorry for derailing the conversation, but, uh, that was fun. I want to talk about injuries. Nebraska has three key starters that are that are uh, missing in action right now. That's Barrett Pickering um, at kicker. That's Cam Taylor Britt at the safety nickel, whatever you want to call him, um, defensive back. And then that's Brendan Hymas at left tackle. So Pickering um, has yet to make his season debut. And I think as of Thursday, he left practice without his helmet. Um, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be traveling to Illinois with the team. Brennan Hymas practiced uh, after getting injured. It's a leg thing with him um, in the Northern Illinois game. And then Cam Taylor Britt practiced. He had a green non-contact jersey midway through the week, but then he practiced, it sounds like, in full on on Thursday. Um, I think the fact that Scott said, or that Scott Frost didn't say anything about either of the injuries for um, Cam and, and, and Jaime, as he likes to call him, is good news for them going forward. Um, you know, at, at least we know that they're not season ending or, or major injuries. Um, so I guess they kind of dodged a bullet with, with those two, but with Pickering being out with the kicker situation kind of up in the air and with Nebraska potentially having either a limited, um, left tackle or not their left tackle, which of these is kind of the, the biggest, um, issue for you heading into big 10 play. Yeah, it's a, that's, that's a really tough one. Um, so the lack of a kicker as you start Big Ten play, and we've already seen it play a role, seems pretty big. Like, there's just, like, that's why they're called specialists. You've got one guy that can do that. 
And if you don't have that guy and you don't have a ready-made option, like that seems like it could loom pretty large in what should be some, some close games coming up. But they're just not on the field enough for, for me to make that my number one pick. I think narrowly for me, it's, it's Hymas, just that left tackle spot. Is is so important. Um, he's you know he was kind of the piece on on this line that had to replace a lot uh, that you could kind of lock in and be like, okay, feel good about that spot. Um, so if if he's not able to go for a little bit, I think that's probably the biggest one. And I and I feel a little bit bad about saying that because Cam Taylor Britt has been phenomenal. Like he, he looks like one of Nebraska's best players as, as a true sophomore. He's done it at multiple positions. He's got the, the stats to back it up, um, you know, on a, on a number of fronts when you look at sort of takeaways and tackles and, and what he's been able to do. He's clearly one of the most talented players on the roster. I just think that left tackle position is, is tough to replace. And, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what, what happens in, in this game because Illinois comes in as a team that doesn't force a lot of turnovers, doesn't break up a ton of passes, but it does spend a lot of time in opponent backfield, you know, opponent's backfield. So if this is a game where, where Brock Bando has to go, um, well, welcome, welcome to Big Ten play because it, it looks like one of the more significant challenges Nebraska could face with a backup tackle on, on the quarterback's blind side. Yeah, well, one of Illinois' defensive ends is leading the country in sacks. He's got yeah. six through through three games, so that's potentially an issue. It just it sucks for this team. I think th- this feels like one of the unluckiest teams in the country because <laughs> the only guy on the offensive line that was playing consistently well through the first three games is Brendan Hymas, and he's now dealing with an injury. And you lose your starting safety in Deontay Williams in the first game of the season. You don't have your kicker. Uh, margins were already thin. Now you've lost... I, I, maybe lost is too strong a word, but... Camp Taylor was probably like one of the two or three best performing defensive players through the first three games. And he's, he's banged out. I mean, this feels like this team just, I don't really know. They're just so unlucky. I don't really know what to make of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. You know, um, injuries happen. Like that's why a lot of times when you kind of go back and, and retrofit these teams that maybe had a special season, particularly if they had a special season where, it, it came out of nowhere a little bit, and I would put uh, UCS 2017 year in there. You often see like, oh, they really didn't lose lose a lot of people. Maybe a game here or a game there, and, and maybe that's all Nebraska's looking at now. I mean, Barrett Pickering has already missed three games, so so that's significant. But injuries, like you know, <laughs> we talk about turnovers. It's a topic I've thought about a lot. Like, how do you try to control this, to try to diminish them, to try to increase them on defense? And it's it's pretty tough to do that. It's it's pretty random. Like, injuries are, are even more like, you know, you hope you don't get them. You're trained to, you're trained to put people in a position where hopefully they can sustain those and, and be ready to go. But at some point, like just the kind of the wrong hit on the wrong person at the wrong time from a wrong angle is, is, is what you get. And that's why depth so much, so important. And, you know, when we, we looked at this Nebraska season, like there were legitimate reasons to be, to be, be pretty bullish on it. And I'm, I'm not off that at this early stage by any means, but 
it really required Nebraska to to remain healthy at some key spots. And they've got a couple injuries right now where even if they're not long-term, you can say, well, they didn't get lucky there so far. So we'll see how that plays out. Well, depth depth and, and, and injury risk, those are two of the reasons why everybody's so concerned about the defensive snaps through the first three weeks. Nebraska, it's, one, it's been one of the storylines of this week, really. People are have kind of fixated on it. Nebraska's played the fifth most defensive snaps in, in FBS. I, mean, they, I think they're at 79.3 is the number through three games. Um, you told me that average was around 70. UCF in 2017 was at 74 and a half. Um, so like a difference of five, it doesn't feel crazy. But when you multiply that over 13 games, that's almost an extra game. Yeah. So when you, the concern I think is when you get into to Big Ten play, it's either the wear and tear um, and, and you put yourself at a higher risk for you know, losing a guy or it's, you know, depth concerns. You just get tired out. I mean, we saw it against Colorado. They just got tired. The defense just got worn out because they were on the field so much. So um, that's that's one of the – I think that's been one of the, the real concerns. And Northern Illinois had like 40-something offensive plays in the first half, and we were like, oh, this is this is maybe a problem. So that's that's been one of the storylines of the week. Um, the other one has been the fact that Nebraska just hasn't been able to win on the road. They're 0-6 under Scott Frost so far. In true road games, I think they've lost their last eight, I think is the number, um, dating back to the Mike Riley era. Of the two that have been kind of focused on this week, the defensive snaps and the road woes, we'll call them, which do you think is is a, a more real concern? Which do you think is, is a bigger issue right now? Um, I, I think the defensive snaps, like, I think that's, that's got to come down a little bit. Like it's not going to come down a bunch. Like if Nebraska's offense is, is working the way you want it to, it's not a 12 play touchdown drive offense. Like it's, it, that's just not, not kind of how it works. Um, so, and I, and I think some of that is, so Nebraska's defensive success rates really good right now. Like we they're winning on about 64% of their plays. That said, with, with how success rates measured, you can still give up a first down or two and, and quote-unquote win that drive from a, from a percentages perspective. So I think more than the offense needs to stay on the field longer, I think the defense needs to, to force a few more three and outs, like get some drives where you just stop it right there and – because they, they haven't had a ton of those, you know, they've, they've had some where they'll get teams, you know, they'll, they'll go for four yards on first down and maybe three yards on third down. And you got this third and three uh, and, and the team just picks it up and, and maybe Nebraska gets a stop on the second series, but that, that those are still, you know, three more plays that you've got to play. So that's kind of been the thing that I've noticed there, like for all the good that Nebraska's defense has done. And it's done a lot of good, like it's been efficient. It's kept the big plays down and it's forced takeaways. It's doing everything that you would hope this Nebraska defense could do. In fact, more than I think you could have fairly expected it to do, to do at this point. Um, but they haven't quite got that three and out part of it. So, you know, when you, when you look at, okay, how do you reduce those plays? There's kind of two ways into it. The offense can stay on the field longer or the defense can, can force more three and outs. I think that onus falls on the defense. So as, as tough as it is to say, like, hey, great job, guys. Can you be a little bit better? Um, I think that, that that's kind of going to be key going into Big Ten play. I haven't thought about that at all. They've got eight 
three and outs in, a, in about 40-ish drives uh, to begin the season. Eight true three and outs. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't gone back and like tallied it up recently enough to, to remember. But, it, it, you know, this is one of those feeling things. It feels like Nebraska gives up a first down. Maybe the team gets to about midfield, and then they make a third down stand. Which, which is great. Like, it's all about keeping points off the board. But long term, you know, when you're talking about sort of the difference of five plays over the next nine games, which is, you know, almost a, a full game difference in terms of wear and tear, like getting that stop on the third down, it ends up being a pretty big difference by the time you get to the end of the year. You mentioned the feel thing. I want to throw numbers out for a second and ask you, what is your feeling um, watching this offense right now? Does it does it feel like it's it's firing in all cylinders? Does it feel like it's does does it feel uh, good? I mean, d- does any part of you feel good watching this offense? Um, yeah, I think so. Like it's it's not quite you know, it hasn't been been launched like a rocket. Like I think you know a lot of people, myself included, thought was possible in, in year two. But from a, from a numbers perspective, the explosive play rate is just a little bit like a percentage point off of, of where they were at last year. Kind of the same for success rate. So they're, they're pretty close to, to where they finished the year last year. And if they can maintain those numbers, I think they'll be fine. Um, they, they've kind of had this weird thing where, you know, big plays came up this week about, okay, well, how sustainable are those? And, and that's a valid question. That, that's one of those things that tends to be, to be volatile. Like if you're one of the best explosive play teams after six games, like it's no guarantee that you will be over the six games to come. Now, but that's different from efficiency, like teams that are kind of there, after at the midpoint of the season tend to stay there. So, so that one's a little bit more sustainable and Nebraska's okay on that front. So they've had this thing where, you know, so you hit an explosive play on a drive. Like when I see that, I immediately think like, okay, well the odds of this drive scoring went way up and Nebraska's actually been pretty good at that uh, in terms of finishing those drives where they get, you know, 15 or 20 yard chunk play they've also turned it over a lot on those. I mean, a lot being relatively speaking, because we've only got three games to go on, but if they cut out that part of it, like the, the potential volatility and explosive plays. Yeah. Maybe, well, you probably are going to have fewer based on percentage, just playing in the big 10, which is tough defense the conference. But if you cut out the turnovers, when you do get those, I don't think you'd see much impact on Nebraska's ability to score. Adrian's Adrian's completion percentage is down. Five percentage points, um, but his yards per attempt are up, so he's kind of balancing it out from a passing standpoint. The thing that just feels off to me is the run, um, the running component with Adrian Martinez. And, and I've had people ask me, like, "Well, he put on a little bit of weight this off season. Do you, did his first step looks slower. Do you think it's he's just carrying more weight and he doesn't have that explosiveness that he had last season?" And in that regard, I don't. I don't necessarily think the 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 extra weight that he's added is a is an issue right now. Um, I, I think there's a there's a hesitancy on his part. You know he had he had nine twenty yard runs um, last season, and he's got none so far through three games. It it just kind of seems like there's there's a little bit of 
hesitancy on his part to just kind of take off and go. And Scott Frost has talked about this, and Mario Verduzco has talked about this. They want to just see him be like an eye back in a quarterback's uniform and just take off and go and, and cut it and run. And, um, you know, Adrian's, Adrian's QBR is down. Um, he's 30 spots lower uh, through three games this year than he was at the end of last season. And you it, we would have expected him to go the opposite direction. Um, but I think, you know, the run thing with him is, is so key. It opens it up. Um, for him to be a little bit more comfortable and for him to find a little bit more rhythm in the passing game. Have you been, have you sensed that same kind of hesitancy in him running the ball? Um, and do you think that's, that, that's having kind of this, this inconsistent impact on the offense? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely felt it uh, at times. Well, really against South Alabama, I felt like Colorado was, was a little bit, a little bit better and, you know, numbers wise would, would back that up. And then I guess Northern Illinois, I, I felt like that was kind of the closest to what we saw last year, not in the sort of like big explosive play from Adrian Martinez way, but in when he chose to run, like he chose to go and, and chose to go pretty decisively. And I, I do think there's the potential that, okay, yeah, he's, he's heavier, you know, there's, there's something there. So, Maybe that's a bit of a change, but really, I think it comes down to, you know, you look at South Alabama, they had all off season to, to basically prepare and decide like, okay, what are we going to try and take away from Nebraska? And I think all three of the teams Nebraska has played probably put that focus rightly so on, on Adrian Martinez. Um, so if you're going to do that and you decide what you, you, what you have to live with, you know, what you're basically going to give up to do that. I don't know that Nebraska's offense overall with the struggles in the run game has been good enough at making the, the sort of the part that defense is willing to live with dangerous enough. And and last year, I think it was um, in terms of having Stanley there, having divided Zigbo there, you know, that wasn't, it wasn't that way right out of the gates, but by the time we got to this point in the season last year, that's when divine kind of came into his own. So, so I think that's part of it. Um, we know that in, I guess in the passing game, you know, continuity there matters a lot. Like it really matters a lot. Like you can have a returning quarterback and that's great. If he's got an all new receiving core, the offense is going to, is going to feel that. And, and Nebraska didn't have quite that. They had JD Spielman back had Jack Stoll back, et cetera, et cetera. But losing Stanley, you know, kind of, I know is, is new. Um, there was about about 50% new and 50% returning there. So some of their struggles, I think you can kind of not explain away, but at least could have seen coming uh, if, if you're taking a look at things like those. Well, the I keep going back to um, the interview that I did with, with Oliver Conley on the podcast before the season started where – um, you know, it, it was an entire off season of everybody talking about Adrian Martinez and everybody talking about the jump and him being a Heisman contender. And, and Ali was the first person that I had talked to all off season long that said, well, he wasn't great. I mean, he was okay. He's got a high ceiling. He's got good potential, but he wasn't great. There are still things that he needs to work on. And, you know, he talked about the, the decision-making in the passing game and his ability to, to recognize um, stuff that secondaries are doing um, kind of later on once once the play is sort of developed and and that was an issue of Adrian's last year and I think we're starting to see a little bit um, as this season has 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 opened that he's missing some things 
in sort of his secondary progressions and his later reads. And, and you know, we could talk about decision-making on, on the ground game um, as well because there are times where, you know, I've watched him and I've been like, dude, keep the ball. Keep it and run it. Why are you giving it off? And <laughs> I actually asked the coach, I was like, so how, how are we supposed to know uh, if he has the option to keep it or not? Because it looks like he should have the option to keep it on every single play. So we're like, well, why would you not keep it? And a lot of times it's just because it's a give play. And the coach just smiled at me and he was like, well, that's the danger of this <laughs> offense. But what the coaching staff is, has said with regards to some of the decision-making, and I want to get um, kind of your, your thoughts on this, is that Nebraska's gotten uh, for three straight weeks defensive looks that it did not prepare for, did not plan for, um, and was not ready for. And... If if that's the case, like what does that change uh, the way that you have, or the way that you, um, I guess, analyze these first three weeks? Yeah, that's a that's a tough one. Like I, I fully believe, you know, the coaches when they say that, it, it's a hard one for me to like actually understand for myself, like the exact impact of that. Um, so if they're saying it, it, it makes a difference, like I'm, I'm kind of willing to, to take their word for it on that one. Um, you know, the, the Ollie Connolly thing has resonated with me through these first three weeks, you know, it resonated with me then because, you know, like you said, almost everyone was like, well, Adrian Martinez, freshman all American, like there are no limits to, to what he can do. And that was really one of the first, first people I heard to say like, well, like, watching the all 22 film, you know, from basically a draft perspective, like there's some like diagnosis and sort of reaction things here that I see that like could be better. And, and I think when you combine that with, you know, working in new receivers uh, in terms of Wandale and, and Convi, um, you get a little bit of that. Like it, it feels to me like Adrian, doesn't fully feel like he can go wherever he wants to go. And I think this offense is really designed to do that. Like that's why like they were so excited about having Adrian because through one year, you know, where you're not expected to do everything, like the offense is tailored a little bit to, to ease that load on you. Um, it, it looked like you had a guy who, okay, well, in this offense where one of these three or four options is going to be open, you just have to like diagnose it and, and just get that person the ball. Um, it doesn't feel like he's, he's seeing all four of those options yet. And, and maybe that's continuity in the passing game thing. Maybe that's a defenses coming in with some exotic or unexpected looks. I think that part of it might, the, the latter part of that, might decrease a little bit as you get into big 10 play. Like I have a hard time seeing Lovey Smith who, you know, was a defensive coordinator and head coach in the NFL coming in and being like, well, this is our, this is our philosophy defensively, but we're going to come up with this kind of kitchen sink, kitchen sink junk drawer defense just because we think it will mess with them. I mean, maybe, maybe some teams will, will do that, but by the time you get to conference play, playing against fellow power five teams, like I think the the pride part of it kind of, helps Nebraska a little bit and they're like, well, this is what we believe in. This is how we built our program. So that's what we're going to do. That thing, that part of it, seeing a different look in each of three games so far than what they've prepared for feels a little bit like non-conference stuff to me. Um, do, do you want to talk about the 
Illinois game or can we jump ahead? I, I, I'm not on the team, so I can, I'm can. i totally fine looking ahead. Um, I'm allowed to look <laughs> ahead. Do you, do you want to talk about the Illinois game or can we jump ahead and, and uh, address the Ohio State is game day coming, is game day not coming thing? <laughs> we can jump ahead. Um, I think... I, I think Nebraska takes care of business against Illinois. Like I, I don't feel great about it. I'm not predicting a blowout, but I think that one should look about like it should look. So if it does, is game day coming to Wake and Derek? Well, my answer would be yes. <laughs> it's a six thirty game on ABC. That that means game day, right? I would think so as well. Um, so we've got potentially, is it Washington State and Utah that week as well? That would be kind of the primary competition. I, I don't, don't think know. there's. I don't think there's any competition that week. I remember looking at it. Well, I remember looking at it in the off season, uh, and I don't think I've looked at it since. So I can look at it real fast. But uh, has there been like a time where that ABC game? in the primetime slot on Saturday night hasn't been game day and they've been someplace else? Oh, I, I mean, I'm, yeah, I think so. There, there have to have been like every time the, the, the red river rivalry goes on, that's a, you know, oh, a, that's a, new, a, a noon game. They never miss that one. Um, there have been, but not often, like there have been some of those sec games that are a CBS game that it's just like so big that even though ESPN can't carry it, like, you got to be there. So, so it does happen. Um, Washington, does, Washington state does play at Utah on uh, September 28th. So that, that one's, that was interesting. Utah, Utah has got USC this week, which I think Utah, Utah is a favorite in that, but even though USC lost to, lost to BYU, like I could see that one being close. So if you, if you want to guarantee um, game day root for USC this weekend. You know, I, I did hear, um, and, and this is in my opinion, more than just kind of uh idle rumor that there were indeed ESPN people in, in Lincoln this week. You know, this is one of those kind of like popular rumors that tends to traffic pretty freely, but, um, from someone that I, that I trust pretty heavily, like, it, Nebraska, Nebraska, Ohio State is definitely in the running, um, and I think if Nebraska gets by Illinois, I think that's what it will be. So I, I just uh, was looking through the schedule and I found I found the game that's going to be the reason that game day is not in Lincoln, Nebraska. No, it'll be uh, in Orlando, Florida, for the civil conflict. <laughs> oh man, what a uh, what a capper! What a capper that would be, you know, Nebraska. So I started going through and making a list of like all the places that game day has been since the last time it was in Lincoln, which was in 2007. It's been on a naval battleship. It's been at Disney world. It's been to James Madison twice. It's been to North Dakota state twice. Um, and then scatter in like, you know, four other kind of, power five programs that you wouldn't expect to get it. I think it's been to Boston college twice since it's, it's been to Lincoln, um, which, you know, is, is kind of an accurate reflection of, of the type of games that Nebraska's played at home over that stretch. But man, it, it kind of feels like the time. And if Nebraska is at three and one, 
still won't be ranked barring like total chaos in the top 25 this week, but get by Illinois. It'll be enough there. I think for uh, ESPN to say, okay, well, we can go tell a, a good story about Nebraska and Scott Frost and it's attempt to, to get back to being what Nebraska used to be. And it has to start here with beating an Ohio state team that uh, played tough last year. And then the two times before that got annihilated to the degree that few people have ever seen. Yeah, I, I think uh, as long as Nebraska takes care of business, game day should come, uh, like you said. But now, if I was given a wish, like I think what I would wish for would be game day for UConn Central Florida, where Bob Diaco is the celebrity guest picker. I think that would be must-see um, DVR so that you can record it and save it uh, for the rest of time television. I think that'd be fantastic. <laughs> It would be, um, man, that would be the ultimate like troll job of the Bob Diaco to be like, yeah, we're going to create game day just to like make you come on and talk about this rivalry trophy that you created that uh, didn't take off. And also, like, why aren't you busy coordinating the defense of Louisiana Tech, which is <laughs> technically, technically his job right now. <laughs> Just, I just want to get his thoughts on uh, what it what it felt, what he must have been thinking uh, when he saw all the pictures of the team leaving the trophy on the bench after they'd won it. The sad picture from the press box, like of the rainy, gloomy day with the trophy just sitting there on the bench by itself. I just want to know what his thoughts were on that. <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't even know if I could. I don't know if I could handle them. Like you know, Bob Diaco is. Uh, is, is is one of a kind. He tried to, you know, as a first-time head coach, he tried to legitimately create something. Whether this was a good idea or not uh, is, uh, I don't even know if it's up for debate. It wasn't a good idea. Um, but he believed in it, and he tried to do something. So I feel a little bit bad for him that, that it became became kind of a punchline. Just a little bit, though. Just a little bit, yeah. I kind of, yeah. Yeah. He, but he gave us some memorable moments, and and. Uh, to that end, I will always be thankful. Brandon, I don't want to ask you who would be the guest picker in the, the hypothetical game day scenario. Uh, my question for you instead is, what would the Rinaldi story be? Would it be an attempt to make you cry? And if so, what's the what's the storyline? Or does he take a little bit more lighthearted approach? It's uh, a good question. I don't know if there are... Um any ready-made uh, tearjerkers on, on Nebraska's team at the moment. The, the seeing Jack Hoffman, you know, this photo obviously made its way around on Twitter uh, of him playing his first junior high football game where, where Jack Hoffman, the, the little guy you remember running in the football pants that went down to his ankles, looking like, you know, a young man in, in a full football uniform. I could see him going that route. I think they, I think they probably take the, the kind of, Scott Frost route. That's that's a little bit of uh, of the easy way. Uh, the Damian Jackson thing. You know, we saw that great video that the the Navy put out. I think that that's still in play for for that sort of story that a lot of people outside of the Nebraska fan base probably don't don't really know about. Um, yeah. Otherwise, I don't. Yeah, I just don't know if there's there's a ready made uh, ready made tearjerker there, which is which is just fine by me. Like, let's. Uh, not everything has to has to tug at the heartstrings. I agree. The Damian Jackson thing would be fun. Uh, Brandon, I, I, you got work to do. Um, 
we will be in uh, Illinois together this weekend, so we can talk about uh, mascots fighting each other a little bit more off mic than when people don't want to murder me for continuing <laughs> to derail our conversations. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been a while. It has. Thank you. Coming back to the podcast, I'm going to call him a friend of the pod because he was on our podcast two years ago when Nebraska went to Illinois and, and won 27-6. That was my first year on the beat. Bob Osmussen from the Champagne News Gazette and IlliniHQ.com. Welcome, Bob. Thanks for coming back on the podcast. Thanks for talking some, some Illinois football with us. I will do this anytime you call. I'm on. Just call <laughs> me and tell me. Probably not like when they're playing somebody else, but when they play Illinois, I definitely talk to you. There you go. Uh, so, so I have read this week that this is going to be one of the uh, the more attended games for Illinois. They're expecting a lot of people in the building. I remember um, the 2017 game. It was a Friday night game, which people were upset about. It was a night game, and the atmosphere was not uh, great. <laughs> um, what What are you expecting from from this Saturday? It's another night game, but it's a Saturday night. Um, what are you expecting in terms of the atmosphere? What are you expecting in terms of how many Nebraska fans you think will be there versus how many Illinois students, Illinois fans? Okay, the first two Illinois home games. First game was about 30,000, so half the place. And then last week last week was 35,000. So again, but not quite half the place or maybe a little, little bit more. So I would think they'll, be, they'll have more than that. I think the crowd will be about 45,000. That's by counting maybe five to ten thousand Nebraska fans, if not more. There are seats available, and people there, when it comes to this game, they can get in. They won't, that will not be a problem because there are lots of tickets. They're not going to have to pay scalpers' prices to be face value. I bought eight tickets for the game for, for people around I know, and there was like the tickets were like $100 for four. So it's a good deal. You can get in the game if you want, it won't cost a lot of money. So I, I, I've read some of the comments from um, players and, and the coaching staff after um, the Eastern Michigan loss last week, and we, we're going to get into that a little bit later, but I kind of want to get from you, what, what has been the vibe of the team, what has been the vibe of the program um, since that loss? Lovey got extended in the offseason, there was, um, you know, it was a young team last year, there was a little bit of um, maybe excitement heading in, they had 10 returning starters on defense. Um, what what has been kind of the vibe after a loss that nobody expected, a loss that nobody wanted, and now you kind of, you know, you're in, I don't want to say a must-win game for Illinois, but a lot of the comments that I've read has been like, we want to start Big Ten play on the right foot. We we want to prove that, you know, the team that showed up against Eastern Michigan last week is not who we are. Like, what's been the vibe of everyone? I think you're right. I think it's a must-win for Illinois. I really believe that. Because they thought they were going to win against Eastern Michigan, and improved to 3-0, which hasn't happened here since in eight years. So that was a big deal. And they kept talking about it all offseason, saying we're going to get to 3-0. It's going to happen. That would have set up a huge game this Saturday with Nebraska. Still a big game, but not as big as it would have been. So I think the vibe was they were pretty hopeful. They looked really good in the opener against Akron. Really, really good, solid, both sides of the ball. Second game against uh, – they went to UConn. Never easy to go on the road, but that's a game they should have rolled. They really didn't. They got behind 13 nothing early. Brandon Peters threw a pick six. That kind of set them back. 
They rallied and won the game, but did not look good doing it. I think that had people concerned. But then they figured they come back, Eastern Michigan, solid team for the MAC. So people here thought that was a win. And when they fell behind, they were behind 14 in the fourth quarter. And people were like, okay, same old Illinois. Then they rallied. They scored twice and made a couple of nice, really nice touchdowns. And then they fell apart in the last two minutes of the game, gave up a field goal, and lost the game. So that was really disappointing. You could sense the crowd when they left the stadium. It was just like, oh, like, oh my goodness. This again was kind of the attitude. So I think the fans were really disappointed, really upset. I think the team was just mad. I, I talked to guys this week. They were like just so angry about losing that game. I think they thought they were going to win. So that was a big thing. Disappointed from, from the fans and anger, anger from the team. Just to put some numbers to the, to the first three weeks for anybody listening that doesn't know, first week against Akron was a 42-3 win. Second week against UConn, it was a 31-23 win. And then this past week, it was a 31-34 loss. So UConn has scored 30 points uh, in each of the three games to open the season. Brandon Peters has been a big reason why the offense has been able to produce. He's got nine touchdowns to only two interceptions through three games. It's the Michigan transfer. What what has been your evaluation of him through the first three weeks? He was really, really good the first game. And very good the second game. Was after he got past the big six, he bounced back and had a bunch of touchdowns. This last game against a better defense, he was not as good. And some of that was the help he wasn't getting. I think the offensive line had a rough game. I think the receivers had a, they had a good game in, in spots, but some of it was not good. I think the running backs were okay. Reggie Gordon played great, obviously. But I think generally he didn't have as much help as he had in previous weeks, and also he was going against a better opponent. So, again, he, he's making another step this week against a Big Ten team. So I think the challenge for him is to show people that he can play against uh, well against a good team. That's been the challenge for Brendan, frankly. Is it is it fair to say that when Illinois is going to be on offense, Nebraska's defensive line will have the size advantage in the trenches? I don't, I don't know if I decided, but I think I definitely didn't manage. But the Illinois got a pretty good offensive line. They've got four starters back from last year. Fifth guy I played at Alabama's back up there. So I think they're pretty solid guys. Problem they've had is holding. They, I think there were four or five holding calls last week. We could play in. Second and 20, third and 15, that really kills you, and that did to the team. I think they had nine consecutive possessions in the second and third quarter when they didn't score. That's really tough to do. So they were they were troubled there by their own mistakes. I think they'll correct some of that this week, and I think the coaches were probably going crazy on them in practice. So I think that's been a problem. But I, I think the offensive line will be okay. But, yeah, I think the Nebraska's played a little bit better. Okay. So the, the thing that I kind of want to get into and – the reason I ask you, Nebraska hasn't allowed a hundred yard, um, or Nebraska hasn't allowed a hundred yards rushing um, to either or to any of its first three opponents. Um, everybody has been kind of in the seventy to eighty range, um, which means that off- opposing offenses have had to throw against Nebraska, and the Huskers are yielding close to three hundred yards passing per game. They're last in the Big Ten um, in in passing yardage surrendered Reggie Corbin is 134 yards away from 2,000 career rushing yards he's a very talented runner um, he has Nebraska's full attention some of the you know like Muhammad Barry at linebacker has been talking about Reggie Corbin a ton this week um, what do you think is a is a more likely plan of action for 
Illinois, do they come out and try to establish the run against a, a Nebraska front seven that's that's looked a little bit better than people expected? Or do they come out and say, we have a capable quarterback, this defense, the secondary, we feel like we can take advantage of it there. D- do you expect Illinois to come out throwing the ball and put the game in on Peter's shoulders? Or do you think that it's going to be important for them to be able to be a little bit more balanced or to be able to run the ball? No, they have to run the ball. They have to run the ball. I think they know that. I think when they get in trouble in the past was not being able to run the ball consistently. So Reggie Corbin is critical. I think you're right. He had 144 yards last week on 18 carries. He's coming off a hit pointer, which he said was the most painful thing he'd ever felt. He was really struggling. He missed the UConn game, but he came back last week and played well. He's one of those guys who's very small. He's fast. And he's a guy that kind of hides behind the line, and all of a sudden he's on you and he's gone. So he's got a great breakaway ability. So I think they'll have a chance to have a big game. I think they'll use him a lot. They'll try to get him the ball early and often, try to soften up the Nebraska defense a little bit, and then open up the passing game. So it's going to be backwards from what you might expect. As to, instead of passing to open the running game, it'll be the other way. They'd be run to open the passing game a little bit. Peters is capable. The difference between this year and last year is that they had A.J. Bush, which you guys knew pretty well, played there in Nebraska for a couple of years, and he was a great option guy. He could, would be a guy who could run the ball or also pass. Well, Brandon Peters is not going to run the ball much. He runs it a little bit, but not like a traditional option guy. So that's a difference. So if you can stop Corbin, you can stop the Nebraska or Illinois running game. But if you can't stop Corbin, you're going to have a problem. Switching over to the defensive side of the ball, uh, last week Eastern Michigan gave a couple RPO, a couple option looks uh, where Eastern Michigan's quarterback was able to pick up some yardage against uh, against the Illinois defense. But this is a defensive unit that, for the most part, has been improved to begin the season. Scott Frost talked about it um, Thursday this week. Um, Nebraska's offensive coordinator talked about it. This is a, an Illinois defense that is improved. And, I mean, the, the main guy that you point to is their defensive end, and you're going to have to tell me how to pronounce his name. But he leads the nation in sacks. He's got six sacks. How do we, how do I say this guy's name? Just say Wally. Wally. Just say Wally, because that's what he goes by. Batico. Okay. Pretty easy. Yeah, All I don't right. use his whole first name. I just Wally Batico. Really good, great kid. Uh, came from Southern Cal. Like I said, six sacks. Pretty good. He's Ned Rusher. He's not Simeon Rice. He's not one of those great players, but he's good. He's definitely been in help. But they lost a great player from last year, Bobby Rancho. Defensive end, certainly the best team player on the team other than Corbin. And he got hurt this summer in a tragic accident, a swimming accident down in Florida. He's uh, not back here yet, still in Chicago to rehab place. He will unlikely play again, which is really, really sad. But besides the, his impact on the field, which is great, he's also a great kid, a great leader. So they really miss him, that part of him. So losing him was huge. And I'm surprised they're playing better without Bobby Rondrick. But they're, they've done some good things. They're not as good as maybe they've looked the first couple of games because the competition has not been great. But I think they're definitely improved over last year, which was would be pretty easy because the defense last year was so brutal. Has that kind of been your main takeaway, improvement, but still room to go because they, they gave up? Oh, yeah. No like question. Yeah. Like I said, three that, points. In fact, frankly, Nebraska is a real problem for Illinois. I think option quarterbacks, the guys that can do the – run-pass option guy is going to be a problem for Illinois no matter who it is. But this, this guy is so good that I think there's there's Sprite in the Illinois uh, secondary room, in the linebacker room, 
and then defense blind room. They're worried about this guy. They don't know what to do with him. And I think if Nebraska came out and ran the ball with the quarterback, it'd be a real problem for Illinois. No question. What are the, I know you said that Illinois needs to be able to run the ball effectively against Nebraska. Do you have a, a couple other keys to, to an Illinois win? Well, I think uh, pass the ball efficiently. So you don't have to fill up the ball 40 times. That'd be bad. They fill the ball 40 times, they got beat pretty bad. I think you need to throw, throw the ball 30 times and make it, you know, tight post passes. Don't try to go down the field. Well, just make, get first downs. Keep the, keep the ball moving. Keep the chains moving because that's critical. I don't think they want to see the Nebraska offense in the field much would be their ideal. If they could control the clock for 35 minutes, they'd have, think they had a chance to win. If they let Nebraska go up and down the field all day, they're going to have a problem. So I think the key might be, you know, being efficient as a passer. But the Raiders is like that. They think he could beat that guy in the game, and he's got to make sure more than anything, protect the ball. If he throws another pick six. They fumble the ball a couple times. Again, they cannot lose a turnover battle. They got. To, in fact, I think they have to win it. They got to be, you know, two to one, three to one, something like that. If they, if it's three to three year. You know, Nebraska has one turnover in Illinois three. It's going to be, be a real problem for Illinois. What about going the other way? Nebraska does X, Y, and Z, and Nebraska wins the football game. Fill in the blank for me. What's X, Y, and Z? Well, I think the first thing is effectively run the ball. Not just Martinez, but everybody. Because Illinois, once you break them down that way, then you can start passing the ball, and that's going to be a real problem because they're going to have guys support the run, and then you're going to beat them deep. That's, that's happened or it happened last week. So that's one thing they have to do. The other thing, is, I think defensively, try to hold, try to hold uh, Richard Corbin down. If he gains 200 yards, which I don't think is likely, but if he gains a bunch of yards, that, again, this is going to be something that will be uh, easier for Illinois to build on. So try to hold it down. Try to hold under 100 would be kind of a good thing. And uh, Reggie is certainly capable of putting up 150 or 200 if he has a good day, if he's healthy, which he, I think he is. Bob, one last question for you. What's your what's your score prediction for this game? Well, great question. Uh, I've gone back and forth on this. The punch spread moved so much early in the week. But I think it's I think Illinois is going to play closer than people think. So I'm going to go 31-24 Nebraska. Illinois put points on the board. What is the spread at, by the way? Uh, I think it's about 13. But it started like 8. Early, early, early in the week, started 80, and then Nebraska jumped to 13, 12 or 13. It's been kind of up there all week, so I don't look that much, but it, it strikes me when it goes up so fast and so did any, big. Did anything change with Illinois throughout the week that caused that jump? Uh, no, the, the, the oddsmakers looked at the game they played against Eastern Michigan and realized <laughs> they're not ready for Nebraska, probably. And I think, I look at, looking back at Nebraska, I think the Colorado game, it's kind of a, maybe an outlier for them. Maybe they're maybe that's the game they that kind of glitch game that is going to get them early in the year. Maybe they'll they'll build from that. They'll learn from that. Maybe that was one one thing the bookies looked at early was that game. So I, okay, maybe Illinois is better than we think. But then it jumps so fast that I think Illinois will will be able to handle that game, play within the touchdown play course. Should be a fun one. Bob, I'm sure you got work to do. I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you for for joining us. Um, thanks for sharing some insight. If anybody wants to follow Bob on Twitter, I will link to his Twitter account 
um, in the description on our site. I'll link to you guys' website and read some Illinois coverage. Um, Bob, I'll come say hi in the press box on Saturday, man. Thanks for talking. That sounds great. Call me in tonight, right? See you. Safe right. Sounds good. That's all for this week. Uh, we'll be back with another podcast. Next week, as always, we will have coverage all throughout the weekend on HailVarsity.com. Volleyball uh, is back in action on Saturday, uh, playing Wichita State, hoping to rebound from from the Stanford game, um, or match, I guess I should say match. Jacob Dilla will have coverage on that. Um, Greg Smith will have uh, some coverage from the local high school football scene. And we will obviously be out in Champaign with with football coverage. Uh, We'll be back next week. So subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. um, Follow us on SoundCloud, on Spotify. And um, we'll talk to you guys next week.